Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you. <clears throat> and to be able to, uh, to share this journey with you this morning. This morning, we are going to take a little journey together. We're going to take a journey to the potter's house. You know, in the, Old, in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 18, in the first six verses there, it says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I'm going to give you my message. And so Jeremiah writes, I went to the potter's house, and I watched him working at his wheel. But the pot he was fashioning from the clay, it was marred in his hands. And so the potter fashioned it into another pot as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hands of the potter, so you are in my hands. And so we see in this passage, God, he, he sends Jeremiah on a journey to the potter's house. And as Jeremiah is sitting there watching the potter work with the clay, God begins to reveal to Jeremiah a deeper understanding into how God works in the lives of his people. And it really is a lot like a potter working with their clay. Did you know that the Bible makes reference in several places to God's relationship to his people as being similar to the relationship that a potter has to their clay? Did you know that? If we look in the earliest pages of Scripture, in the book of Genesis in chapter 2, part of the creation account there in verse 7, it says, And then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into man the breath of life and, and man became a living being. Now, we know that the book of Genesis is originally written in the Hebrew language. And the Hebrew word that is used for formed here in verse 7, that God formed man, that Hebrew word is yatsar, and it literally means to form. But as a potter, what I think is kind of, kind of exciting is that the Hebrew root word from which yatsar comes from is yotzer. And yotzer, it literally means a potter, somebody who works with clay. And so a more literal translation of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 would read, And then the Lord God did the work of a potter and formed man from the dust of the ground. Isn't that cool, church? Ooh, come on, look at you. you got to at least nod your head, look a little religious. That thing is really cool. And so we see right here in this Genesis passage from God's very first contact with his human creation, it is in the context of a relationship between a potter and their clay. Well, with this understanding, I want to take you through some of the processes a potter takes their clay through as they fashion their clay into a piece of earthenware. And as I do, I want to talk to you about some of these similar processes God allows us to go through as he's fashioning our lives into what the Bible refers to in 2 Timothy 2.21 as vessels of honor fit for the master's use. Now, I'm going to do uh, several illustrations for you if we have time this morning with these pieces of clay up here. And of course, this clay is a metaphor for our life. And so I want you to see your life uh, represented in these different pieces of clay. Now, when a potter is going to make something on their wheel, uh, the first thing they have to do is uh, they have to go out and they have to uh, dig up some clay. And now, when a potter goes out looking for their clay, do you know where they look for it? <laughs> they look for it in the swamp. 
They look for it in and around the wetlands. Now, when a potter goes out looking for their clay, they're not looking for clay that's going to be perfect. It's got to be just perfect. And do you know why the potter doesn't go out looking for perfect clay? Yeah, because the potter knows there's no such thing as perfect clay. See, the potter knows when they dig this clay up out of the swamp, it's going to have all sorts of muck, all sorts of mire, all sorts of junk inside of it. And the potter understands that dealing with all of that junk that's inside the clay, that's just all part of the formation process. Now, I want to start with that point because I'll talk to people and sometimes people will tell me that they want to have a relationship with God or they want to go deeper in their relationship with God, but they don't feel that they're ready to do that now, see, because they just don't feel good enough. See, they're still struggling with some junk in their life. Maybe they're struggling with an addiction. Maybe they got a habit they can't seem to control. Maybe they've got some people in their life that they know are not good for them, and they just don't feel good enough to have a relationship with the Lord. But listen, friends, the Bible makes it really clear. None of us are good enough in and of ourselves. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there's nobody who is righteous, not even one person. It says in verse 23 of that same chapter that all of us have made mistakes with our life. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the whole reason why God sends Jesus into the world to die for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God because in and of ourselves, we're just not good enough. But the good news of the gospel is that God is not looking for you to be good enough before you can have a relationship with him. No, he's just looking for you to be willing. That's all. You just be willing to open your heart. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and give God a chance. Just give him a chance. And he's going to take you just the way you are because he understands that dealing with all of that junk that's in your life, that's just all part of the formation process. Now, once the potter has their clay, they can't just uh, stick it on their wheel and start working with it. It's not going to work. You see, the potter knows if this clay is going to be successful on the wheel, this clay's got to first be properly prepared for the wheel. Now, this process of preparing the clay, potters call it the wedging process, and it accomplishes three objectives. And we don't have time this morning to go over all three of those objectives. But I'm going to go over the first one with you, and then I'll tell you what the, the other two are. Now, in order to understand the first objective in preparing this clay, uh, you have to understand something about the structure of clay. Clay is made up of platelets of felspartic rock. That's all it is. Now, when the clay is first dug up out of the earth... All of the platelets that make up this, this piece of clay, these platelets are facing all different directions. Now, in order for this clay to be moldable when it's on the wheel, and in order for this clay to have the strength it's going to need to have to stand up under the stresses I'm going to be putting it under when it's on the wheel, all of these platelets, they all need to be oriented in the same direction. I call it, it's being oriented in the potter's direction. That is in the direction the potter wants the clay to go. And that's the first objective in preparing this clay. We've got to get it all oriented now in the potter's direction. Now, the way this process looks is you're going to put your clay on your work surface, and then <clears throat> you, just, you just push down on it. You squish it, and then you push it forward because you're trying to stretch it, and then you're going to roll it back onto itself and twist it, and you drive it down <clears throat> into itself and through itself. And you're going to continue this process of pushing and stretching and rolling 
and twisting. You're going to continue this process until this clay has been prepared. Now, I want you to notice what's starting to happen to this clay as I'm beginning to work with it. Notice it's starting to look a little different, starting to change shape. It's taking on the shape of a cone, right? It's narrow at one end. It has some folds in it. And if you can see it, it's starting to develop a counterclockwise spiral to it. And you can see the spiral taking place right here in the wide part of the clay. This is the direction I'm orienting this clay. I'm going to rework the whole structure of this clay. And I'm going to get it all oriented in this counterclockwise direction. <clears throat> okay, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I have my wheel set up to spin in a counterclockwise direction. So what's going to happen is I'm going to rework this clay. I'm going to get it all oriented in this counterclockwise direction. Then I'm going to pick it up and put it onto my wheel. And look, look, it's going to continue to spin in a counterclockwise direction. Now, what would happen if the clay was oriented to the right, but the wheel was spinning to the left? What would happen if the clay and the potter were not both moving in the same direction? What would happen is I'd only be able to take this clay so far in its formation. I'd only be able to take it so far. And then it wouldn't be able to handle the stresses I was putting it under as I'm trying to take it further. And it would fall apart right on the wheel. And so the first objective in preparing this clay is we've got to get it all oriented in the potter's direction. Now, as you're watching me do this, I have a question for you. And I want you to call the answer out loud, okay? You think you can do that for me? Okay, yeah. I think we need to do a practice call out. <laughs> <clears throat> Say amen. amen. Oh, that's good. <laughs> okay, okay. So you call it out like that. Now, if you've seen this before, then you can't call that answer out because that'll be cheating and the Lord will get you for that. Okay, <laughs> all right. So here's my question for you. Uh, what's the primary thing you see me using here? What am I using to move this clay in the direction I need it to be going? Call it out, class. Ooh, that was good. My hands. Yeah, absolutely, I'm using my hands. However, that's not the primary thing. The primary thing I'm using here is pressure. Pressure. You see, the pressure is finding its expression through my hands. But did you know that pressure, it can find its expression through lots of different things, can't it? Pressure finds its expression through things like financial difficulties, through challenges in relationships, through stresses in marriage, through anxieties around parenting, through peer pressure, school pressure, employment issues, health concerns. Pressure finds its expression through lots of different things. In this case, it's finding it through my hands. You see, this is a very physical process. I am pushing down on this clay and stretching it and rolling it and twisting it. This is a painful process for this clay right here. I am heaping affliction onto this clay right now. This is a really painful process. And think about this from the clay's perspective now. If this clay could talk to me as I'm taking it through this painful, scary, confusing process here, a time in its life, what do you think this clay would be saying to me right about now? Yes. <laughs> It'd be saying, ow, Potter, stop it. That hurts me. Why are you doing this to me? I'm so confused. I thought you loved me. I didn't ask for this. Why, if you were really a loving Potter, <laughs> you wouldn't be letting this happen to me. <laughs> That's what it would be saying. Because this is a really painful process for the clay. But if I, as the potter, if I could talk to this clay in a way that the clay could understand me, you know what I would say? 
to this clay in response to its cries of pain and protest, I would say, I would say, Clay, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And so I continue. And so the potter uses pressure to move the clay in the direction he needs it to go. Now, when I think about our life, I think, is there anything? Is there anything that can get your attention and orient you toward God more effectively than pressure? Come on, I see it all the time in the lives of people. They're too busy for God. They don't have time for God. They don't have time to pray. They don't have time to read their Bible. They don't have time to have a devotional life. They don't have time to go to church. Church, Sunday, oh, that's the only day I get to sleep in. That's the only day I get to be with my friends and my family. They have time for church. And then one day when they least expect it, a crisis strikes their life. And what's one of the first things out of their mouth? Yeah, oh God, oh God, uh, why me, why me, oh help God. Hey, they got time to talk to God now. They've got time to pray now. They might even find time to read their Bible. They might even find time to show up at church. <laughs> Pressure, it orients people toward God. And so the first objective in preparing this clay is we've got to get it oriented in the potter's direction. And the potter uses pressure to do this. Now, before we go on any further, I want you to get a hold of this truth this morning. You need to know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You need to know that you were born on purpose and you were born for a purpose. You were born on purpose and you were born for a purpose. Your life was not a mistake. Your life was not an accident. Now, it may have been a surprise to your parents, yeah. <clears throat> but it was not a surprise to God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139 and verse 16 that God was planning out the days of your life long before your parents even knew each other. He just used them to get you here. <laughs> and I can't tell you the number of people I've spoken to, even Christian people who are supposed to know better. And they've said to me, well, I was a surprise... I was a mistake. I was an accident. Listen, no, God does not make mistakes. God does not create accidents. You were born on purpose, and you were born for a purpose. And this is a big purpose, a transcendent purpose. It's a purpose that involves more, more than you just working really hard so you can make lots of money and buy lots of things that everybody else is only going to be fighting over after you're dead. Come on. That's exactly what happens. God's plan for your life, friend, is so much bigger than that. And if you want to know what that plan is, if you want to be walking in that plan, the first thing you've got to do, you've got to get yourself oriented in a, in a God direction. And I'm not talking now about playing Christian or playing church. I'm saying it's time you get serious in your relationship with the Lord and you begin seeking God for the plans he has for your life. And sometimes God allows a little pressure in our life to get us oriented in that direction. Okay, so the first objective <clears throat> in preparing this clay is we've got to get it, uh, the clay oriented in the potter's direction. The second objective, and we don't have time to look at the second and the third objective, but the second objective is you need to work the impurities out of the clay. Those things that contaminate the clay, they're going to affect the formation of the clay. They're going to affect what the potter can or cannot do with the clay. And in the same way, sin 
sin contaminates our life. And we have to deal with the sin in our life. If we do not deal with it, it is going to affect our spiritual formation and what God can do in and through your life. So we need to attend to the sin in our life. The third objective here is this whole process. It cultivates a relationship between the potter and the clay. There's all different kinds of clay. It's not just clay. And if the potter's going to work effectively with their clay, they have to understand the characteristics of that clay. And the only way that's going to happen is you have got to spend time with one another. You've got to have a relationship with each other. Okay, so once these three objectives have been met, uh, then this clay uh, is uh, ready to go on to the wheel. So let's see if we can make something with it now uh, on the wheel. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> when the, a potter is going to make something uh, on their wheel, they have to take the clay through several stages on the wheel. Okay, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get this clay in the center of the wheel. Now, potters call that being centered. <laughs> yeah, doesn't that just sound so mystical? Yeah. Now, this clay here is not centered. It's on the wheel, but it's not centered. Now, this is an important observation to make because just because the clay is on the wheel, it doesn't mean the potter can work with it. The clay's got to be more than just on the wheel. It's got to be on the wheel, and it's got to be centered. Okay, so if the clay is on the wheel, but it is not centered, then what's it doing? What's it doing? No, that's it. It's just, it's just going around in circles. That's all it's doing. It's just going around in circles. You know what? I meet a lot of people like this. I meet a lot of Christians like this. They're just going around in circles with their life. See, they confuse activity with accomplishment. You see, they think because they're running here and they're running there that something actually is getting accomplished for the kingdom. But the only thing that's happening is they're just running around in circles. They're just getting dizzy. <laughs> but they're dizzy for Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah. They are dizzy for Jesus. Hey, do we have anybody here this morning who is dizzy for Jesus? Let me take a look at you. Ooh, okay. I'll tell you what. From where I'm seated, I can see at least two of you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just wanted to see your reaction there. But you know what? I'll bet. I'll bet if we were honest, there were probably an awful lot of people in this room wondering who the other person was. Now, as this clay spins around and around on this wheel, there is a force that's being exerted onto this wheel right now. It is an invisible force. It's a centrifugal force. And it wants to take, it wants to take what's ever on this wheel and it wants to fling it off the wheel. It wants to just pull it away from its relationship with the potter. And this clay cannot withstand this invisible force and its own strength. It needs the strength and the help of the potter. In the same way, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that this is a spiritual world that we live in. And there are spiritual forces in this world. And these forces are trying to pull you away from your relationship with God. They're trying to distract you from your relationship with God. 
And just like this clay cannot withstand this invisible force in its own strength, it needs the strength and the help of the potter. You cannot withstand these spiritual forces in your own strength. This is why we need the active and dynamic working of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, once this clay comes into the center, it's centered now. It, it, it enters into a stillness here. There's a subtle shift. I can feel it. I, I don't have to put as much pressure on it now. I just need to contain it. This moment of stillness, this reminds me of God speaking to us through the Psalms. In Psalm 46, verse 10, listen to what God says to us here. He says, be still, be still and know that I am God. What God is telling us in this psalm is that we come into a knowledge of God in the stillness in ways we do not when we are not still. This is why it is so important that you develop a quiet time, a devotional life, where you could shut yourself in with God so God can reveal himself to you in the stillness in ways he cannot when you are not still. This is why God doesn't say through the psalmist, uh, get busy and know that I'm God, or get overcommitted and know that I'm God. Or burn yourself out and know that I'm God. Let's be still. Now that it's been centered, it's ready for the next phase. And that is we're going to open it. Now the way the potter opens the clay is you're going to take your fingers and you're going to plunge them right into the heart of this clay. And then you're going to begin to draw the clay open. Now this is a very intimate time between the potter and the clay right here because there is a real searching out that's going on right now you see if there was something in this clay <clears throat> that's not supposed to be there this is where I'm going to find it this searching out process this reminds me of the heart of the psalmist listen to the heart of the psalmist where he prays in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 he prays search me O God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and guide me in the way everlasting. That's what's happening here. There is a searching out that's going on here. This clay is now open. Let me show you. See, it's open. Oh, you got the screen up there. <clears throat> Okay, <clears throat> now that it's open, it's ready for the next phase, and that is we're going to lift it now. Now, the way the potter lifts the clay, you've got to apply pressure now, pressure to the inside of the clay and pressure to the outside of the clay at the same time. <clears throat> and then you're going to begin the process of drawing this clay upward, and this is a process. And like any process, it takes time. And you don't want to rush the process. This process here, this reminds me of James chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, humble yourself before the Lord. And he will lift you. Pressure on the inside. 
and pressure on the outside. So, uh, how about you? Did you ever have pressure on the inside of your life and the outside of your life at the same time? What do you do when that happens? Do you grumble? I heard somebody whisper, yes. <laughs> Do you whine? Do you complain? <laughs> Do you make life miserable for everyone around you? How come I got the biggest reaction with that one? Or do you allow God to lift the Christ-like character out in your life so that others can see Christ in you, your hope of glory? Okay, now that this is lifted... It's ready for the next phase, and that is we're going to do an internal work on this pot now. We're going to do an internal work on it. Now, with my outside hand here, you will notice that I am steadying this clay. I am supporting this clay. I am protecting this clay. But what I want you to observe is that all of the work is taking place on the inside of the clay. And we can see the work that's taking place on the inside of the clay by the way it's reflected on the outside of the clay. Now this is exactly how God works. God works from the inside out. Religion works from the outside in. See, religion says... You do this and you do that and you don't do this and you don't do that and then you're going to be something you're not and neither are you capable of being which is holy and righteous. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 that it is by grace you have been saved through faith that this is a gift of God's. It is not of works. You cannot work your way into, into righteousness. You don't work your way into holiness. Jesus did this for us on the cross. This is the whole reason why we ask Jesus Christ to come into our life. His, His Holy Spirit comes into our life like my hand goes inside this pot and He does a transforming work 
from the inside out. And people see the work that God is doing in your life by the way it is reflected on the outside of your life. A vessel of honor right here, church. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate your clapping. I really do. I want to challenge your thinking for a moment around your clapping, though, if I may. I want you to think about this for a minute. What were you clapping for? I mean, just think about that for a moment. The reason I'm asking is because when I came up here at the beginning and I said, I am going to do several illustrations for you with these pieces of clay, like nobody clapped. <laughs> and now I made something with a piece of clay and then everybody clapped. So like, what you clapping for? I understand you're clapping because you see something now you didn't, you didn't see before. You understand something now you didn't understand before. You see, you saw this clay. It came into a relationship with the potter. It didn't have to be perfect. It didn't have to have its act all together. It just had to be willing. And because it was willing, the potter was then able to draw out from this clay something you did not see before, but you see it now. And that is its potential. And you got a little excited and you started clapping. You know, that is exactly what Jesus meant in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, when he said, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. The Bible tells us that when you say yes to God, all of heaven does for you what you just did for that clay. All of heaven claps for you because now all of heaven can see potential for a kingdom work in your life it didn't see before. Now listen, how come all of heaven can get excited about the potential it sees in your life, but you can't? How come you can't? Now look, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that it came out like that. I mean, especially since everybody's looking at me. You tried, it's not easy. So, so, like, I'm happy. I'm happy it came out like that. But I don't get like, whoa, I don't get real excited here. No, this is where I start getting excited. As soon as I come into a relationship with this piece of clay, man, this is where I start getting excited because I can see things in here that you can't because I'm the potter. I can see things in here that you can't because I'm the potter. You know what I see when I look into a big ball clay like this? I'll tell you what I see. I'm an Italian boy. And when I see me big ball clay like this, I always see me this big bowl of pasta. Ooh, spicy shrimp and lots of garlic. Mamma mia, that's worth a little hand clap, church. But, 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 but I want you to think about this from a functional standpoint. From a functional standpoint. This clay here, it is of no more functional use to me than this clay here, is it? I mean, I can see what I can do with this clay, but I can see it right here. I don't need that. Now, if I want to use this clay for the potential for which I've just destined it, I got to do more than simply see its potential. I've got to set its potential. See, just because we can see the pot's potential, it does not mean that that, that pot is going to fulfill its potential. Just because we see potential, it doesn't mean potential is fulfilled or realized. Look, and I look out here at all of you. I see a room filled with potential. But just because I could see the potential for your life, it doesn't mean you're going to fulfill that potential. Some of you may go to your grave having never sung your song. So just because we see potential, it doesn't mean potential will ever be fulfilled. If I want 
to fulfill the potential for which this pot has been destined, then I got to do more than see its potential. Friend, I've got to set its potential. And the way the potter sets the clay's potential is I've got to take this clay now and I must put it into the fire. <laughs> it's going in the fire. <laughs> it's the only way. And this is not a little fire. To set that clay mix, I'll have to heat it up to 1,800 degrees. Yeah, there is not much that can withstand 1,800 degrees. I'll put that in perspective for you. I was talking to the director of a funeral home one day. Yeah, listen, you want to have yourself an exciting conversation? <laughs> then do not talk to the director of a funeral home. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, that conversation is going to be totally dead. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know it's a little corny, but it's true. It's true. I really spoke to, I really spoke to one, and it was like totally dead. And, and he worked with a crematorium, you know, these big ovens that cremate people. And, and I was curious because my father... My father was cremated after he died, and, and so that is the best time. And so, and so I asked him, I said, how hot, how hot do you have to, to make those ovens in order to take the entire lifetime, a lifetime of another human being, and reduce it down to a little five-pound bag of gray ash? How hot? He said, 1,800 degrees. I thought, whoa. That's the same temperature I fire my pots to. And as I was driving away from that interaction, just kind of reflecting over it, all of a sudden I was reminded of Jesus' words in Mark 8.35, where he said, if any man is going to save his life for the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to lose it to this world. You want your life to count for heaven, friend? <laughs> you're going to have to die to some of the things on this planet. They're not for you, but when this thing comes out of the fire, it's going to look like this. See, all these pots here, they have all been fired to 1,800 degrees. This is the same clay mix. Notice it's gotten a little lighter. I like to think of it now as it is reflecting the Shekinah glory of God. Fire has a way of purifying things, doesn't it? Not only that, but look. It's hard. Fire gives strength to things, doesn't it? Not only that, but listen. See if you can hear this. Listen, listen. That's a note. See, God made that note. I like to think of it now is this pot's got a song. This pot's got a song. Here, here's an observation that I have made. I'm a student of human behavior. I've studied it most of my life. And here's an observation that I have made. When you go through the fires with your life, not if you go, when you go. Did you know that's actually a promise from God in Isaiah 43 too? It says you are going to walk through the fire. That's a promise from God. How many want to claim that promise? <laughs> oh, come on. We like to claim the blessing promises. We like the prosperity promises. We'll take the healing promises. Who wants the fire walk promise? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a promise. Listen, you're going to walk through it. Now, when you do, stay faithful to God. Stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't turn your back on God, friend. Don't, don't shake your fist at God because God knows more than you. God's got a bigger plan than you. And if you will stay faithful to God as you're going through your fire, 
You read the second half of Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, and you will discover as you are faithful to God going through your fire, God has a way of showing up in the middle of your fire. And when you come out of that thing and you are going to come out, listen, church, your life's going to have a song. Come on, church, your life's going to have a song. It'll be a song of praise, a song of thanksgiving, a song of healing, a song of deliverance, a song of provision. Your life is going to have a song. Yeah, come on, hallelujah, that's right. Hallelujah, your life's going to have a song. But here's the way it works. You want the song for your life? <laughs> you got to go through the fire to get it. Now, I don't know if you could see it in the back, but when I was making this pot here, I put a squiggly line on it. You see this squiggly line right here? Okay, see, potters call that a form of surface removal. But what I've done in a very literal sense is I've scarred this pot. I put a scar on it. I just did it in a symmetrical way so it's easier to look at. I did it on this pot here too. Maybe you can see it in the shadows. Another potter is going to come along and pick this pot up and... And, and see the scarring on it, and it's going to tell them a story about how this pot was made because that's what scars do, right? Scars tell stories, don't they? I've got some scars on my body, and when I look at them, I'm reminded of how I got them. When my children would see them, they'd say, Daddy, how did you get that scar? And now I would have a story to tell them. I was a deep-sea diver in the United States Navy for four years, so when my babies were little, I used to tell them the shark story. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I, I just made that one up, though. <laughs> yeah. but, but that was such a scary story, though. When my babies were little, they wouldn't get in the bathtub for a week after that story. <laughs> yeah. See, scars tell stories. Now, listen to me on a very serious note now. Look at You tell somebody that, that you were molested when you were little, and statistically, half of us in this room both men and women have been sexually molested before the age of 18. That's a scar, and that scar tells a story. And you don't have to say anything else about your story, especially if you're telling someone else who was molested, see, because they know your story. Scars tell them. You tell somebody you had an abortion, and statistically three out of five women in this room right now have had one, and 20% of them have had more than one. That's a scar, and that scar tells a story. And you don't have to say anything else about your story, especially if you're telling someone else who had an abortion. See, they know your story. Scars tell them. You tell somebody you went through a painful divorce. That's a scar. And that scar tells a story. You don't have to say anything else about your story, especially if you're telling someone else who went through a painful divorce. They know your story. You tell somebody you grew up in an alcoholic family. Come on, that's a scar. And that scar tells a story, and you don't have to say anything else about your story, especially if you're telling someone else who grew up in an alcoholic family because they know your story. Scars tell them. Now, look, I don't like these scars. I don't like them. I don't want them in my life. I want to just get them out of my life, but they're not coming off. Listen, friends, you cannot undo your past. You cannot. You cannot undo your past. I can hide it, though. I can hide the scars. All I've got to do is put the glaze real heavy on it right here. And when it comes out of the glaze firing, you're never going to know they're there. But from the potter's perspective now, from the potter's perspective, why allow a pot to be scarred if you're only going to hide it now? You see, now that it's made it this far in its formation, it is now eligible for the next phase. 
And that is I'm going to adorn this pot with beauty. I'm going to make it beautiful now. I'm going to glaze it. But in order for the glaze to fulfill its relationship with this pot, guess what has to happen? It's got to go back into the fire. And this time I'm going to heat it up even hotter. To glaze fire this pot, I will heat it up to 2,350 degrees. But when it comes out of the fire, depending on the glaze that you use, maybe it'll look like this. What I want you to see here is I want you to see the scarring. You see the scarring on this pot? Do you see what happens? The glaze breaks over the scarring. It breaks over it, and it accentuates the scarring. And all of a sudden, this scarring, which was once this painful thing for the pot, now it becomes a focal point of beauty. And it gives this pot a sense of beauty, a sense of movement, a sense of dynamic that other pots that are not scarred simply do not have. They just don't have it. And I will guarantee you what you would do. I guarantee you what you would do. If I put this thing out here like this, and you came into the sanctuary, and you're thinking you're the only one here. This is what you're going to do. First, you're going to walk in right up to this thing and just kind of look at it for a little bit. You'll stare at it for a little bit. Then you're going to go like this with your body. You're going to go like this. Because you want to make sure nobody's looking. Then you're going to reach over. You're going to pick this thing up. And the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go like this. See, you're going to touch the scarring. See, you think just your kids touch everything. You don't act grow that. You got to touch everything, don't you? Yeah, no, that's exactly what you do. See, there's something about the scarring that makes people want to connect with it. Now, here's another observation I have made. If you, if you will give those things that have scarred your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll give those things that have left their indelible mark in your soul, stop trying to cover them, cover them up with the, with the glazes that this world has to give. This world's got nothing for you. This world does, doesn't have anything. This world doesn't care about you. This world will use you up and spit you out as soon as it's gotten everything it wants from you. This world doesn't care about you, but you give your broken life to the one who cares about you so much, who loves you so much, he went to the cross on your behalf. He took the payment for your sin so you didn't have to do it. You give your broken life to Jesus Christ. Give him a chance. And he's going to take your broken life. He's going to pour his healing balm over you. How he does this, I don't know. It's part of the mystery of the cross. But you're going to experience the fulfillment of Isaiah 61.3. God's going to give you beauty for your ashes. You're going to get the oil of joy for your mourning. God is going to give you the garment of praise for your spirit of heaviness. You know what your spirit of heaviness is, friend? That's your depression. God's going to lift that thing from you because it's not his will for you to have it. And then you know what he's going to do? He's going to bring people into your life. And you know where they're going to connect with you? They're going to connect with you right here, right around your scarring, right around your pain, right around your brokenness. Now, why does God do this? So you could sit around now and have a little victim talk together? No. No, he does it so you can now point them to the one where you found healing for your broken life so they can find it for theirs. Come on, church, that's the gospel right there. Somebody say amen. That is the gospel. Okay, <clears throat> I'm just watching the clock here, okay? I'm going to show you this. Stay with me, church. Stay with me. Okay, you see this, this clay right here? This is the person who loves the potter. Uh, they love God. Maybe this is you. You see this? You see this? It's a little pebble. A little pebble I picked up in my yard. Look, I'm going to put it inside the clay. You see what I'm doing here? I'm contaminating the clay. Remember when I talked about preparing the clay? The second objective was to work the impurities out of the clay. Okay, so this little pebble, this is an impurity in the clay. This is a wound, a wound in the heart of this person. Maybe this person was molested when they were little. Uh, maybe they went through a painful divorce. Maybe they grew up in an alcoholic family. Maybe they were abandoned. Maybe they were abandoned. That's one of my wounds. 
When I was 15, my mother ran away. And my father, he wasn't interested in being a father. And I have two sisters, and we grew up just outside of New York City, and we grew up on the street. And from the age of 15 to 19, which is when I went into the Navy, in the military, the way I got most of the meals that I ate, I stole them. I'd go into the supermarket, I'd go up to the deli counter, ask for a pound of Italian roast beef, they shave it off, wrap it up in a little paper, put a piece of tape on it, and they hand it over the counter to the little boy. I'd take it, I'd smile, I'd say, thank you. Go around the aisle, and when no one was looking, I would drop it down my shirt. I'd go out into the street, find a place where I can sit and eat it like some kind of animal. I remember the autumn season of my 15th year, right around this time of the year. I was downtown, walking the streets. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was so tired. I'm 15. I just wanted to go to sleep. I found a parked car. had a seat cover in it. I smashed the window of that car. I ripped the seat cover out of it. I wrapped myself up with that thing, and I lay down on the side of the road, and I went to sleep. I got up the next morning. I hitchhiked to where I was going. I have four children now. And when I see how easy it is to love your children, when I see how easy it is to love your children, I say, why was it so hard? Why was it so hard for my parents? You see, I had a lot of junk inside of me that I had to forgive and let go if I was going to go forward with my life. It was a lot. You grew up on a street like I grew up. There's a lot of junk inside of you that you've got to deal with. You've got to forgive. You've got to heal from if you're going to go forward with your life. You're never going to go forward with your life holding on to the pain of your past. But you see this person here? They're not going to deal with it. They're not going to forgive anybody. No, they're going to hold on to their pain, hold on to their anger, hold on to their resentment. They're going to hold on to it. But they love Jesus. So what can the potter do with a person who's going to hold on to their pain? Well, sure, you can, you can be centered, sure. But there's more to living for Jesus than sitting still with your life. When Christ calls us to follow him, he is calling us to a life of adventure. Listen to me. If you think living for Jesus is boring, I'm going to tell you straight up. This is the way they talk in the street. You're going to get it straight up. If you think living for Jesus is boring, there is only one reason for that. It's because you're boring. It's because you're boring. Because there's nothing boring about yoking yourself to the creator of the universe. It'll be the most wild ride you've ever taken. And so this person comes to this place in their life and they say, God, use me. I want my life to count for something. There's got to be more to life than this. And God likes that prayer. <laughs> but to be used by God, you've got to be opened by God. And so God, he's going to open you. And he is going to start, ouch, searching you out. Ouch, ouch. Look at, oh, man. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rock in here, and as it goes around, it hits my finger, and it really hurts me. You say, well, then what are you doing it for? Because I'm trying to illustrate this for you. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> but you know, when I, when I think of how this hurts my hand, I think when we hold on to our pain, pain that Jesus died to set us free from, pain that Jesus died to heal us from, when we hold on to it, I think it hurts the heart of God. I think it hurts the heart of God, just like this hurts my, my finger. Now, I don't know. Can you see this right here? Right here. Can you see it? You see that little lump right here? Okay. The second objective in preparing the clay is to work the impurities out of the clay. The potter uses pressure to do that. 
Pressure brings the impurities in the clay to the surface, all right? So to open this clay, I've got to use pressure. When I use pressure here, it brings all the impurities in the clay to the surface. So right here, that's the impurity in the clay. Right here, this is where the Christian is going to relapse into their addiction, right here. This is where the Christian is going to lose their ability to manage their emotions. They're going to lash out and hurt somebody they care about. This is where the Christian is going to get involved in another abusive or exploitive relationship. Okay, so what do, what do most Christians do when this happens? When you start struggling with that old sin issue of yours, what do you do? Well, it's been my observation. You're going to do this. Come on. You're going to hide it. And then what you're going to do, you are going to put on what I call your Christian happy face. Here it is right here. Come on, church. This is the Christian happy face. Here it is. This is the face that you see most Christians wearing on a Sunday morning that makes you feel like everybody else in the church has got their act together except you. And you see them out there in the fellowship time and you say, hey, how you doing? They say, oh, I'm doing really good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good too. Oh, God is good, isn't he? All the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, all the time. Oh, you got the victory. Yeah, I'm walking in the victory. Well, blessings all mine. Well, 10,000 besides. See? See, see you, you got all the church talked down. You got all the church talked down. But inside, you're dying. Come on. You're dying inside. See, nobody cares about me here. They ask me how I'm doing. They'll stand around long enough to hear my answer. They don't care about me. And after a while, you start thinking God doesn't even care. Well, what happens next? Well, it's been my observation, in order to anesthetize your pain, you're going to start getting religious now, and you're going to do something like join the worship team. No offense, worship team. No offense, worship team. Yeah, are oh, you going to teach yourself a Sunday school? No offense, Sunday school people. And, and the newness of what you're doing, it distracts you from your pain. The only problem is, is it doesn't heal you from your pain. It simply distracts you. And like any good distraction, after a while, it's going to wear off. And you're going to need a bigger distraction. And so you start praying, oh, God, use me in a greater way. And God likes that prayer. But a greater way, it, it means greater pressure. Now, I want to tell you three reasons why it is so important that you heal from those wounds to your soul. Those wounds that you brought in with you this morning. I'm going to give you three reasons why. It's so important you heal from them. Now, the first two reasons are clinical reasons, but th these are the reasons. The first reason, if you do not heal from your pain, you're going to organize your life around it. This is what human beings do. If you don't heal from your pain, you organize your life around your pain. Now, you see this, this clay here, that little pebble, that's a wound in the heart of this person. So how does the clay accommodate that pebble? How does it hold on to it? It cannot absorb it. So in order to accommodate it, it has to organize around it. And that little pebble imposes a structural shift on this clay, and it throws this clay out of balance. And this is exactly what happens in your life. If you're going to hold on to your pain, it's going to throw your life out of balance. It's going to throw it out of emotional balance. It's going to throw your relationships out of balance. And when your life is out of balance, then you become the most vulnerable to believe a lie and then the devil's going to show up, the father of lies. And he's going to speak a lie into you. And he's going to say, oh, that's just the way you are. See, you're messed up. You're messed up. Something's wrong with you. That's the way you are. But this is not the way you are. Proverbs 11.1 1 tells us that God doesn't make anything out of balance. And he didn't make you out of balance. And if you're feeling like this is your life, like your life is out of balance, that's because you're holding on to something God never intended you to hold on to. 
And it's time for you to lay it down. So the first reason you need to heal is if you don't, you are going to waste your life and you're going to waste thousands of dollars in therapy organizing your life around your pain. Okay, the second reason you need to heal is because if you don't heal from your pain, you're not only going to organize your life around it, you're going to end up recreating it. This is what human beings do. You're going to recreate your pain. You're just going to do it in a different context with different people. It's going to be the same old drama in your life, just different faces. And the third reason you need to heal is because you can only go as far in your life. You can only go as far in your relationships with other people. You can only go as far in your relationship with God as your wounds allow you to go and no further. See, I am trying to take this clay up further, but I can only take it as far as that little wound is letting me take it. Okay, so this is you now. This is you. This is your life. You're limping through your life, trying to do the best you can, trying to be a good person, trying to love Jesus, and you're feeling like your life is all messed up. And then one day when you least expect it, whoa, whoa, uh, your life Your life, it comes crashing down around you. And you sit here in your brokenness and you sit here in your confusion and you say, God, why me? Why me, God? Why me? Did your life ever look like this? <laughs> My life has looked like this. My life has looked like this more than one time. And where does it break? <laughs> you just got to run your hand along the edge and you'll find it. It breaks right where that little wound is. And so you finally come to the end of yourself and you cry out to God. You cry out to God. You say, God, help. Help me, God. I'm tired of trying to control everything and everybody. God, help me. And God, who the Bible tells us in Psalm 46.1, he is a very present help in our time of trouble. God, he comes along and he picks you up. He picks you up. He picks up your broken life with all your guilt and all your shame and all your addictions and all your messed up relationships. He picks up your broken life and he carries you over to his special place in here. He's going to dry your tears. And then he's going to begin to bring you through a process, a process of getting you reoriented in a God direction. Remember, that's the first objective, a process of working more of those impurities out of your life. Remember, that was the second objective, a process of re-establishing a love relationship with you. That was the third objective. You see this process here? This is a love process. This is a redemptive process. At times it can feel a little scary. At times it might even feel a little painful. But make no mistake about it. This is a love process. And then... When the potter is ready, when God is ready, he's going to take your life, a life that was once so broken, 
and he's going to put you back on the wheel. But he's going to put all of you on the wheel because God wants all of you. He doesn't want to leave any part of you out. And he's going to center you. And you're patient now. You're patient. You understand some things about God you didn't understand before. You understand some things about his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his patience towards you. And then he's going to open you and he's going to search you out. And then he's going to begin to lift you once again. He's going to lift you out of your brokenness. You see this clay right here? This is the person who was broken beyond recognition. This is the person who had given up on themselves. But listen, the potter never gives up on the clay. The potter never gives up on the clay. God is never going to give up on you. Listen, that's a word for somebody. God is never going to give up on you. So don't you give up on you. And don't you give up on God. And then after, after God lifts you, after he lifts you out of your brokenness, He's going to do an internal work on you. He's going to do an internal work on you. Now, potters call this internal working, they call it giving the pot a form and a function. That's what potters call it. Giving the pot a form and a function. I like to think of it as giving the pot a calling. See, God will never waste your suffering if you give it to him. You're going to waste it trying to manage it yourself. How are you doing with it so far? God will never waste it. He'll never waste your pain if you give it to him. And so he raises you up. He's going to give you a calling. And then he's going to do something with you that he wasn't able to do before. He's going to give you a calling 
And then he's going to give you an equipping. And he's going to equip you in a way that you were not equipped before. Now, why does God do this? Why does God do this? He, he does this. Listen. He does this so that you can now take from your broken life and you can pour from your broken life, you can pour into the life of another broken person so that you can bring them into a relationship with the potter so they can find healing for their broken life just like you found for yours. That's the message of a journey to the potter's house, friend. That's the message of the cross. You see, this is my life. <laughs> this is my life. My life has been so broken. But I know enough about human behavior and human beings to know that this is your life too. And I am taking from my broken life now and I'm pouring it into yours. Now I want to close and give you a couple opportunities. I'm aware of the time and we'll wrap right up. I want to give you two opportunities to respond to this message, okay? I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand like this. This is an act of faith. The Bible says faith always requires action. And that without it, it's impossible to please God. And so I want to give you an opportunity to just declare your faith. So here's my first invitation to you. If you want God to take your life and fashion it into something beautiful, into the plans that he has for you, you've got to start by first having a relationship with the potter. It only makes sense, doesn't it? How else can the potter fashion their clay if they do not have a relationship with one another how else can God fashion your life if you don't have a relationship with him? And why wouldn't you want that anyway? What's that about for you? Why wouldn't you want that? Well, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you have that and that's wonderful. And maybe you don't. Or maybe there was a time when you felt like your life was right with God, but you got distracted by the things of this world and you've gone astray. If this is you, it is time for you to come back home. So I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment and shut yourself in with God. Just bow your heads. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to just shine his light into your heart and to reveal to you the true state of your condition before him. Are you really right with God? Have you fully asked Christ into your life to forgive you of your sins and to be the Lord of your life? If you're here this morning and you want to say yes, this morning I want to say yes to God. I want to ask Christ to come into my life for a moment. Just put your hand up so I can see it because I want to pray for you. Yes. Yes, that's the right thing to do. That is the right thing to do. That's the right thing to do. Yes, are there others? Yes, yes, that's the right thing to do. I'm so proud of you. That is the right thing to do. That is the right thing to do. I see your hands in the back. That's beautiful. You can put your hand down. Okay, if this is you and you want to say yes to Jesus this morning, I want to lead you in a little prayer. Just make these words yours. You pray it to yourself. Now, it's not the words. It's the attitude of your heart that God is looking at. And you pray, you pray this. Pray it to yourself. You say, God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins, of which there are many. And I ask you to please forgive me of my sins. Forgive me and come into my life. Be the Lord of my life now. And help me to live for you now all the days of my life. Help me. Help me not to be embarrassed or ashamed to call myself a Christian. Help me not to be embarrassed or ashamed to tell my friends, my colleagues, my classmates, my neighbors, my family members that I'm a Christian now. And I'm just trying to do some things differently. 
Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, and, and many of you did, you just took the first step on a spiritual journey that's going to change your life. But like any journey, it requires another step and another step. And this is why God has raised up pastors and communities of faith like this. You need to get yourself connected to a community of faith. Because look, at, we are all in this thing together. And we need each other. We need people around us who can encourage us when we feel down. And you need a shepherd over your life. You need a pastor who can teach you and guide you in the ways of the Lord. So I want to encourage you in the strongest way. You find yourself a good Bible-believing, gospel-teaching, Jesus-loving church. And if you don't have a church home, then I want to invite you to come here. Just give us a chance. You come, just make a purpose in your heart. I'm going to come three or four times. Give it a chance. And you meet with the pastor. Talk to Pastor Aiden. And, and just get to learn a little bit more. Okay, so that's the first. The second opportunity I want to give you to just respond with just an upraised hand. As I was talking about pressure and pain, as I was talking about scarring, the scarring in our life, when you saw this, this is the person who loved God, but you saw that little wound in their heart. See, they, they were carrying something with them and how it affected their formation. But when they released that wound to the potter, how the potter was able to take a broken life and turn it into something beautiful. As you were watching all that, maybe, just maybe, you were sitting there and you were thinking of a time when somebody hurt you. You were thinking of a wound in your own life, a scar in your own life. Listen to me, friends, if that was you, I really believe this was the Holy Spirit showing you that thing that you were thinking about. That's been a stronghold in your life, and it's holding you back. It's preventing you from going forward with your life and your relationship with God. And if you're here this morning... And you want to say, I'm going to lay this thing down. I am no longer going to give my future over to my past. I'm going to, I'm going to release this and give it to the Lord. If that's you and you're willing to do that by faith, come on, put your hand in the air. I want to see because I want to pray for you. Come on, church, be honest. Be honest. Church is not a place to be dishonest. Raise your hand if that's you. I see several hands throughout the congregation being raised, but I'm going to tell you what, what saddens my heart. I have spent my whole life working with broken people, and I know what the statistics are in this room. I know what's represented in this room, and I know every one of you should have had your hand up, and I don't understand why you're so afraid to do that. You know, if we look through the scriptures, we see God did many miracles throughout the pages of scripture, but if you look at those miracles, you'll see he did very few of them without the aid of other people. It's not that he needs people. He doesn't, but this is how he glorifies himself in the, in, in the, in the church age, and here, God knows your heart. He knows the things you've struggled with. And he knows this message. And he's brought our lives together for this moment in time. And he extends an invitation for you to respond. And you don't respond in faith. Listen, you're not serious. You need to stop praying about that issue in your life because you're just not serious enough. You're not hurting enough yet. I love, I love in the Gospels when Jesus goes to heal people. And things seem obvious but Jesus doesn't heal people right away. He says, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Or like the man of Bethesda, do you want to be healed? Because as a psychologist, one of the things that I've learned is when people hold on to their pain, when you've addressed every aspect, why they need to release it and they still hold on to it, the pain is no longer the problem. It's their need to have it that becomes the problem because it's serving them in some way. And I want you to give some thought about that. And maybe later on today, tonight, you can wrestle this out with the Lord. And I want to encourage you in the strongest way. To just, whatever God raised in your heart through this service, say, God, take this from me. I'm going to release it to you. And God will meet you. So let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for everyone who's here. I thank you for the message. I pray that it, it went forward like good seed into good soil. Break the fallowed ground of people's hearts and minds. I come against any kind of a spirit of pride.
that would just prevent people from just opening themselves up to the gospel. Your word tells us that you actually resist the proud. So we can have a lot of head knowledge about the Bible and still not be spiritually healthy or spiritually mature. Your word says you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And there were many here who lifted their hand, who humbled themselves in faith and lifted their hand toward heaven. And I pray for those who, who had that, that courage, God, that any stronghold that's been over their life because of the, that wound that you showed them, that that stronghold is broken in Jesus' name. And for those who are struggling, God, I pray that you meet them. So maybe they're, they're feeling consternation or aggravation that I would speak so forthrightly to them. But God, help them to see that's a spirit of pride and that as long as they're going to hold on to that, they're going to be stuck. They're going to be stuck. And that pain is going to rule their life. And so I ask that you help them, that you give them revelation, you help them to understand the power of walking humbly and releasing their pain to you and trusting you that you're going to vindicate them. You'll be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, and you will heal them. I pray you encourage their hearts this morning. Help them to know that you love them, that they are your children, and you understand we're all in a process, and you're here to walk with us every step of the way. I pray that they feel your pleasure this morning, God, and when they, when they leave this place, they're just going to feel lighter because they've met you in a, in a transformational way. I ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, thanks for coming on a journey to the Potter's House. Pastor Aiden, do you want to do something here?